Do you consider yourself a high achiever? Smart, driven, highly successful? I am so excited to have you. My name is Julia Arndt and I'm the host of the Stress Podcast. I will help you develop your stress resilience the same way you've developed your workplace superpowers. Learn peak performance tools to thrive at work and in your personal life. Let's get started. Hello and good morning, everyone. I am so, so excited to have Jenny Blake on my podcast today. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much, Julia. It's an honor to be here. I'm so happy we can connect. Yes, me too. Jenny, there's so much I want to talk with you about today. So I would say let's just jump right in. Is that okay for you? That's perfect. Yeah. So the very first thing I always ask my podcast guests is where are they located and what time is it? Because I have a lot of international podcast guests. So it's always, you know, fascinating and fun to hear where are you, um, what time is it and what have you been up to this morning? Sure. I'm in Manhattan. It's one in the afternoon. Today was an early start. My husband is taking jujitsu classes, so he's waking up at 5 a.m. And uh, we adopt, not adopted, we brought home a puppy two months ago. So we have a four-month-old, four-and-a-half-month-old German Shepherd. So part of today was working and getting things done, but also managing his energy, playing with him a little bit, and uh, kind of mixing it up, but I'm finding that although it's a little harder to get things done with a puppy around, it's the perfect break after I hang up from a call or <laughs> I send a stressful email. I just go hug and harass the puppy, like probably yeah. give him more affection than he even wants. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally relate to that. I, when I have a stressful time at work, I'm also just taking my puppy out the door and, and go for a walk. And it always helps me to decompress and relax. Yes. The fresh air is so good to have an excuse yeah. in New York in the winter. Of course it's challenging because sometimes it's below freezing and I know you're in a somewhat colder area too sometimes, Julia, but when it's so cold, but then it is this burst of energy and it, it does clear the decks. Yeah. Um, what kind of dog do you have? Um, I have a black lab border collie mix. She's already eight. Oh, how cute. Puppy. <laughs> yeah. Always, she'll always be so a puppy sweet. to you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She's always going to be so yeah she's super sweet and oh, sweet. Tell me, um you so one of the things that I always ask because we're talking about stress management and peak performance is is do you have a morning ritual or routine that you go through in the morning in order to set yourself up for success for the day one of the things I love the most is reading for ideally it used to be an hour or two before the puppy arrived um, but no matter what I try to fit in at least half an hour that's my time. It's how I wake up my brain and get energized for the day. Um, in the past, I used to meditate daily, although now I'm on a streak of not meditating and see what that's like. And just today I decided maybe I should work backwards from my first meeting or call whenever it is and just commit that an hour before every first meeting, I'm doing a 30 or 40 minute yoga class because sometimes I've, I've been noticing recently with all the new routines with the dog and everything that I kind of put my workouts on the back burner. Like, Oh, if someone wants to schedule a last minute meeting or the dog needs to go out. So I need to just flip it. I, I, and so that's going to be maybe a new part of my morning routine, yeah. but I also like to focus on more strategic work in the morning when I'm at my best before I get into too much of the weeds in terms of email. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a really good point. That's actually what I'm doing as well. That usually if I know I have a call in the morning, you know, no matter what time it is, I try to get up at least an hour or an hour and a half before that to do my morning routine before I'm jumping in to everything else, because I just need that time to kind of recharge myself and do all the things that I feel like I need to do for myself before giving out my energy to others. Yeah. I would, I would rather wake up like today. I'd rather wake up at 5am and know my first call is at 930. Then there will almost never be a scenario where I'm rolling out of bed at nine with half an hour to go before a call. Yeah. I can't stand that morning scramble and I would rather get less. Well, I always prioritize sleep, but I would rather go to bed the night prior at 8pm than be scrambling in the morning or not have those precious hours to myself before I'm engaging with the world. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm totally the same way. And I love the mornings as well. I'm definitely more productive in the morning hours than I am in the afternoon. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, as one and, of my coaching clients said to me, she's like, after 3 p.m., I barely even know my own name. <laughs> yeah, 
that's how yeah. I feel. And I feel like, and then, you know, I, I do get that spike again in the later afternoon, like early evening, but then I feel like if I work too long then, then I can hardly relax or like right. because my head is just still so on that it's hard to kind of switch off. Yeah, totally. Can totally relate. That's why I also don't check email. Once I close up, I, I, I'd rather work for five hours, very focused in the middle of the day and then, and no breaks, not really stop for lunch and then be done by three. And after that, I try not to check email actually, Yeah. or the same reason you described. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have emails on my phone, but I actually don't have notifications. So I can choose to go in and check it. And if I don't want to check it, I'll just, you know, I just don't get notified of anything coming in, which yeah. Helps. yeah. Jenny, I am so excited to have you today because I, you are definitely one of my role models when it comes to building your own business and having you know, a similar story a little bit about you worked at Google and then you headed over and started your own business. So let us pick up our audience a little bit from maybe Jenny 10 years ago. Where were where and who were you back then? And um, yeah, what are you doing today? Well, thank you, Julia. It means so much to hear that. And I'm so excited for you too. I just saw on your podcast, you had done your one year of solopreneurship, yeah. your, your solopreneur anniversary or work anniversary, as yeah. I would call it, and which is really exciting. And <laughs> it is such a journey, but it's so rewarding. I, 10 years ago, it would be 2010. So I was, I was actually nearing the end of my time at Google. I was there from 2006 to 2011. And in 2010, I launched what's now Career Guru, the global drop-in coaching program that is still to this day, one of the proudest things I've done in my career. And I was just getting the book deal for life after college, my first book. I was trying to juggle my side hustle with my day job. Both were very intense. I was going to yoga teacher training. I was juggling a lot. And I know you talk about burnout and stress in addition to peak performance on this podcast. And I felt that I was really in a cycle of burnout, burnout and recovery, just kind of stretched to my capacity, burnout, rest, recover, and then do it all again. And 2010 was right as I was trying to get the courage actually to say, well, what am I going to do about that cycle? And I realized that when my book was launching in March of 2011, that I just couldn't juggle both anymore. It wouldn't be fair to my side projects and my book of giving it the best chance of success, nor would it be fair to my teammates at Google if my attention was distracted. And I knew I just couldn't juggle both any longer. So ultimately I did make the decision to leave and had no clue if I would be cut out for entrepreneurship. I just knew that I couldn't do both and I would regret not trying. Of course, at that time, everyone thought I was crazy. That's how the usual story goes. Now it's much more common of a story than it was at that time. And I just don't even know if I would have believed you if you told me, yeah, 10 years later, you're still going to be in your own business thriving and Google will actually be one of your clients. Like I just, and, and now Google has rolled out Pivot as their global career development framework, which is so exciting and actually a great testament to the message of Pivot, which is that so much of these career changes and even pivots within our businesses are not starting from scratch. And for companies as well, that, that people can come in and out of the organization in all kinds of different ways where everybody benefits. And I think work structures are so much more creative now. So yeah, I would have been delighted. I was, when I hit my five-year work anniversary of self-employment, I felt this sigh of relief that, okay, I made it to the five-year mark. And at that point I felt if I made it five years, I could probably do this. I can probably figure it out for the rest of my life. But there were definitely moments where I thought, am I insane? Should I just go back and ask for another job again at Google? And I'm glad that I didn't. I never regretted leaving, but it does take time to figure out all the ups and downs and just navigating market changes and just all the craziness of entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm just sitting here and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, I can totally <laughs> Um, so you already mentioned Pivot, and um, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about um, your second book that you then brought out, I think, in 2016, and that has become a really big success in a lot of different companies. 
Sure. So yeah, the book that launched in 2016 is Pivot. The only move that matters is your next one. And that was sparked by my time at Google and coaching and career development and, and seeing how many bright people were hitting pivot points within the company and wondering how to continue. What does growth look like? What does it mean when you can't get promoted all the time? How do you keep having that feeling of growth and momentum? And it was also shaped in large part by my first two years out of Google. At that point, I didn't have the pivot framework yet. I was still working off life after college and I was getting kind of over it. I didn't want to talk about life after college for the next 10 years. And this time when I was having that what's next crisis, there was no paycheck funding the exploration. When I would hit plateaus or pivot points within Google, it's not enjoyable. It's very stressful, but I'm still getting paid every two weeks. <laughs> so once I was running my own business and really not happy with like the, the direction that I saw it going, or at least the, the, of what I was talking about, I was feeling kind of bored and restless. That was quite stressful. And it got to the point where I didn't know how I was going to pay rent in two weeks. And I was either going to have to find a full-time job or leave New York and either of which I wanted to do. And it was in those moments that the framework for pivot and the aha moment came to me that it's really like a basketball player, you know, one foot's planted and then the other foot scans for passing options. I didn't have a plant foot. I was so focused on what I didn't want and what I didn't know what I didn't have. None of that was solving the problem in front of me, which is how to pay the rent in two weeks. So it wasn't until I went back and actually doubled down on what was working, what I did have going for me, the clients that had already hired me that I could start to parlay that into the new direction, which eventually became pivot. And even my private momentum community for solopreneurs was built in the same way. It was actually going back to my former clients, people I loved and who enjoyed working with me and saying, what can I create for you? And doing almost a listening tour to understand what to create. And then part of the big message of pivot, just like, you know, Julia from Google is launch and iterate. There's yeah. no way to actually have all the answers up front. It's impossible. So the goal is really just to understand what can I try and line up a few pilots or small experiments and let them show you which ones start to take on a momentum of their own. Yeah, it's, I'm, it's so fascinating. I loved reading the book. I actually read the book in 2018 when I had uh, my medical leave and um, I remember, and that, that was like the biggest thing that resonated with me was that basketball player and that, that pivoting point. Um, because I played basketball when I was 15, 16 years old in Germany. And, um, and you know, we, we talked about that strategy and I loved how you brought that strategy into business and said, hey, like you're planted, you're still planted with one foot. Um, you know, you're grounded and you, you're yourself, but you can start to explore other options. It doesn't mean that you have to move away from, from who you are today. It's just a new, a new opportunity. Right. And that's so many of us, I'm so happy to hear that it was helpful for you. <laughs> and it's like so many of us, even for you going on medical leave, it's in a way your body's also reacting to the environment and to pivots in progress or, or in a way, sometimes the physical things that happen, we get pivoted or we get a message that says you've got to change. Now you have to change. It's time. And it's very tempting to just focus on like what we don't want or to jump too early to saying, oh gosh, how am I going to solve this? Oh no. Okay. It's time to make a change. Who can I talk to? What can I, what jobs can I check out? Or how am I going to do this? And then we get to compare and despair because you're not, we're not grounded in our, in who we really are, what our strengths are, what gives us energy. And as I share in the book, like what does success look like just one year from now? You don't have to know any more than that. And you don't have to know specifics, yeah. but I'm so happy, Julia. I'm so happy to hear that it resonated and yeah. that it was helpful. And, and it's incredible to see what you've been doing too, since you've <laughs> had that space to think. Yeah, for sure. It's been a very exciting journey for sure. Um, and I can also relate to the thoughts of like, do I do this or do I just go back to the safe, safe zone where I just get a two, every two week paycheck and everything is figured out for me. <laughs> that's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a thought that comes up when you're building your own business. And I think it's very normal. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so you already talked a little bit about the strategy behind Pivot. There is a four-step process. So for anyone that is listening now and is curious to learn a little bit more about what, what are those four steps, can you walk us through those again, please? Yeah, sure. So building off that basketball analogy, the four stages are plant, scan, pilot, launch. Plant is about two things. What's already working? What are your strengths? What do you most enjoy? When are you your best and most in the zone at work? And plant is also what does success look like one year from now? How do you want to feel? Who do you want to be surrounded by? What types of projects do you want to work on? How are you most excited to grow? What kind of impact do you want to make? From that foundation, from that plant foot or that plant stage, now we can move on to scanning. So looking for where can we pass the ball around the court? Scanning is this is so crucial. It has to be based on the plant stage. Otherwise it's not, it's not as connected. It's not as efficient. And you're looking for three things. You're scanning for people, skills, and projects. So imagine going somewhere and putting in a destination on Google maps, you know, where you're starting and the one year vision is where you want to end up. Now you can sort of scan and look for different modes of transportation and how long it will take and what your options are. The third stage pilot is once you've scanned for related people, skills, and projects. Now pilot is really about saying, what can I try? What are some small experiments that will help me test the waters? So a good pilot will help you test three E's. Do I enjoy this? Can I become an expert at it? Is there room to expand? For example, if you're considering graduate school, before you try to put this pressure on yourself to decide, should I go or not? I don't know. Have a phone call with one or two alumni sit in on a class, go to campus, see how you feel walking around. Maybe a pilot is taking a GMAT, although I never could get to that step. I always bought those books and I could just never even bear to crack them open. So those are signals. Those are pilots that are small ways to test and start moving in a direction and then seeing what serendipities occur. You can repeat plant scan pilot as many times as you want. The fourth stage is launch. That could be a big L launch when you go all in on a new direction, you actually leave your job like you did, Julia, or you launch a podcast or you launch a new stream of business, or it could be a little L launch, which is just distilling. Okay. Based on everything, maybe everything Julia and I talk about in this conversation, what's one next step? What's one next step that would make the biggest impact? And what one next step can you take this week? That's really quick. Yeah. So that's it. And it's, it sounds linear, but it's not, you're really cycling through over and over until you have a feeling of momentum. And the big secret is that we're all pivoting much more often than not. Yeah, for sure. And so would the four stages that happen in, in that one year time span? So even if we are thinking about launch, that would be within that one year time frame, or is that after that one year, when I've tested out these different things, then I'm launching into something bigger? Well, the one year is not so much meant to be a restriction or, or if someone asked me earlier, how long does a pivot take? And there's no way to say, but the one year is, um, how do you define success a year from now so that you're clear on where you're trying to go? And sometimes people think that means problem solving, like, oh, I need to know what company I want to work for and exactly what role. Quite the contrary. It's really saying a year from now, I want to feel easeful, joyful, healthy, vibrant, working on projects that challenge me. Maybe someone's pivoting from finance to people operations. They say, I want to be working more closely with people, or I want to see the impact of my work in the broader community. So that vision then helps shape, guide, and direct all the options of how to get there. Yeah. And so the other thing that I've been thinking about and that you are actually addressing on your website as well, and that I love is, you know, especially when, when you think about companies, you're going into companies, Google has now launched Pivot as a career program. Um, you know, companies are obviously afraid they want to keep top talent. They want to retain top talent. So um, they might even be thinking initially when they hear about this, that, you know, you are helping people to move out of the company or like people are looking at the two of us now and they're like, oh, okay. So Jenny and Julia's pivot was to leave the company to do their own thing. But it doesn't have to be that way, right? Because I think one of the things that you actually say is that um, if the if you know the person usually never looks first at 
leaving the company, they're, they're always considering first what can they, how can they pivot within the company and how can they grow their skills and find something that they really enjoy doing. And um, that's definitely something that I did um, for a long period of time until I made that next big decision and that next launch step to, to move out of the company. But I definitely had a couple of internal pivots as well. So if somebody is listening now, maybe from an HR department or, you know, somebody that, that is not ready to leave the company yet, what would you advise them to do? I love that you asked this because <laughs> I often will have, let's say CEOs or CLOs who are going to bring me in to speak. And they're like, but listen, I cannot have everybody trying to pivot out of their role tomorrow. <laughs> and in fact, the best pivots start right where you are. So the people who are the most successful, I even talk when I speak within organizations that just pining for role change or promotion as the only way to grow is actually quite disempowering because you don't always have control over those two things. And it can be so frustrating. We all know people at Google. I was like this in my early days there where I was so focused on getting promoted. I just couldn't even enjoy my work. And I felt like I was constantly chasing something and the bar was moving. And it wasn't until I said, you know what? I'm good. I don't care if I ever get promoted again. My work quality didn't suffer. I just relaxed a little bit more. And then you're able to see more interesting opportunities. So what are some stretch projects or filling in for somebody who's on leave or um, telling your manager what you're most interested in? And maybe they don't have anything for you right then, but they might a couple weeks or months from now and they'll know exactly who, who to give it to. So it's really true that actually the way I teach pivot within organizations is to start right where you are. That's where the most creative changes and projects come from. And of course, acknowledging that internal mobility is really important. So companies that talk about career development and then hoard their talent and don't let people move internally, that's not going to work either. And then for so many people I interviewed, it was not their first choice actually to leave the company. And there are Googlers that when I go back and speak that I've been there 14, 15 years. And when I've asked them, how many times have you pivoted within the company? They'll say, I don't even know at this point. I just know that I'm always looking to continue growing. And that as long as they are growing and making an, a bigger and bigger impact, they're happy. They're happy to stay. And of course, you, you, you know, you also have people like you and me. I just knew my calling was to be an author and a speaker someday. So I, there was probably no company in a, in a sense that if that's really somebody's fate or their calling. And yet here I am also serving as an advocate and an ambassador for Google in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, I think that it's the companies that are willing. And by the way, now there's a lot of boomerang employees, like people who might leave, go do other things, expand their knowledge, expand their experience, go to graduate school and come back to an organization. So there's just not these fixed lines anymore. And, and I, do you think that if you're within an organization and you have it in you to try to stay, if you're not absolutely miserable and you're not in a toxic culture and you're not, it's not unhealthy for you to stay, it is always interesting to say, how can I pivot internally? And then how might that set me up for career moves that I'm interested two or three moves out? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was just thinking that, you know, you are the proven role model of like, you know, you had that experience, you built that career program internally at Google and you gained a lot of experience and that obviously also helped you be a lot more credible and trustworthy moving out of the company and then offering that concept to other companies, for example, right? So maybe it's something that even at this point, you're not even thinking about that, oh, like, you know, sometimes we're not that strategic. I'm sure that you didn't think about that <laughs> while you were building that internal program, but it, it has served you so much in, in the future. So, you know, going with your gut and really trusting what you enjoy most doing and doing that in order to just gain experience and enjoy yourself can be, be a big step in the right direction. And I do talk in the book about how do you know when to stay or when to go? And when do you have in the financial world, we would call it unrealized gains or diminishing returns. And there was a point that I was thinking of leaving Google two and a half years in. And a coach actually said to me, it's too soon. You know, like do everything you can to stay. This is a great company. It's a center of technology and innovation. Like give it your best shot to stay. And I'm so glad she said that. So I did feel like 
I had more in me. And I, of course, I did not create Career Guru with a small team of people. I didn't create it thinking, oh, this will look so good on my resume. And <laughs> no way. I was just so passionate about bringing free drop-in one-on-one coaching to Googlers and have it as widely available as other perks like massage, snack rooms, laundry, et cetera. But looking back, if I had left Google when I first entertained the thought, it would have been a huge mistake. I would have missed out on this hugely impactful program that got allowed me to really express a passion, which was coaching at scale. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I loved about working at Google was knowing that we could impact so many people, both within the company and then the, the wider world. And because I was in people operations, there also came a point where I thought, okay, at the time I left, I could impact 35,000 people within the company, or I can go out, try to do my own thing and see if I can reach a hundred thousand or a million. And it's not that quantity is that important to me, but I was ready to sort of share what I could outside of the walls of Google as well. And also I had health issues too. I had a thyroid problem for the exact five and a half years I was at Google. And then when I left, it cleared up and it hasn't come back since. Mm -hmm. So I also think something about my physical wellness, like I just had not figured it out at mm -hmm. Google. I just hadn't gotten that balance right. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to get back to that as well for a second, because you did mention that a little bit earlier and I want to talk about that for a second, because I think it's really powerful. And again, also really important is that, you know, sometimes we are getting caught up in that red race of like, I want to get the next promotion. I want to get the next salary increase and the next stock options because everyone around me wants this. So even sometimes if we, If we didn't really want that initially, I feel like just from that environment that kind of feeds this like, you know, it, it's not really that it's competitive, but it just kind of, you know, um, it wraps off, I think. <laughs> so yes, in, in the it's hard not to. Yeah. Like yeah. it's Google's hiring the best and the brightest. Yeah. So of course, everybody is so smart and so efficient and so productive. You know? Exactly. And one of the things that I'm talking about, and I actually um, wrote an article about that a couple of weeks ago is, um, and the article is called, do you need a new job or do you need new habits? Because one of the mm. things that we unfortunately learn in that environment and just as us being high achievers and wanting to do a lot of different things is that we are burning ourselves out in the process and we're learning very unhealthy habits to sustain that kind of productivity and success and you know I believe that even you know and I see that a lot I see that and I see that and hear that from people talking with them is oh, maybe I work for Google, but then I burned out, I moved to Facebook, <laughs> I burned out, I moved to LinkedIn, or, you know, I, I moved out of Google, I started my own company, but then I burned out because there was so much to do. And I, I really believe that um, besides obviously looking for career opportunities inside the company, I think it's also a question of looking within you and understanding, hey, um, maybe I am having a very unhealthy lifestyle at the moment that is affecting me. And so I'm more desperate to move out of it because I am making my external environment responsible for how I feel. But at the end of the day, it's only you yourself that can change anything about that. And if you're just moving away with a, <laughs> a little package or a backpack of unhealthy habits that you will continue to apply because that's the only thing that you know, then, um, you know, you, you will continue to burn out a little bit still. Can you relate to it as oh, a, yeah. an entrepreneur? <laughs> I love how you defined it as like a backpack of unhealthy habits that you're carrying around. Because even if you then pivot to self-employment, you could be your own worst boss. No question. You could take all those habits of emailing late at night or not prioritizing your own health and wellness or fitness. Like it's to be so, it's, it's almost easier when you're self-employed to just steamroll over all of that. Like it's so true. If you don't address those boundary issues as an employee, they will carry right over to any next job or, um, or self-employment. The only thing I will say with self-employment, it really allowed me to set better boundaries because I was in control of my time and my schedule and my work. So I, I didn't, there is in a certain sense, you have to be willing to say no to your clients or to, to client requests on some level or have those boundaries, but it did finally allow me to have a much saner schedule. And I'm wondering for you, Julia, because you don't live 
in San Francisco or in Mountain View, you live kind of outside the Bay Area. Was that choice related to your own work-life balance at all? Or yeah, absolutely. I'm so curious, like, yeah. have you been there where you yeah. are for a while? So I lived in Mountain View like you did and when you initially started at Google. And uh, I, I come from a really small town. <laughs> I come from a small town in Germany that has around 30,000 inhabitants. So I grew up in a really small kind of environment and I was never a huge fan of big cities. I had lived until the point that I moved to Mountain View. I lived in five different com countries <laughs> and five different cities. And so I've lived, you know, anywhere from like a city to a million. I lived in Sydney. I don't know how many inhabitants they have nowadays, but a lot. Um, but I was never a big fan. And I think the more and more I started to learn about myself. And actually, when I got to Mountain View, I also started the yoga teacher training and um, just got more in touch with myself and understand more what I really needed in order to thrive. And one of the big you know, answers to that was that I really, really love kind of the peace <laughs> and serenity of um, of, the, of the mountains in this case. I totally, completely fell in love with Lake Tahoe and a lot of my listeners have heard me talk about this um, so passionately because I'm so passionate about this place and I feel like it's really healed me in some way, but that has also for some time um, added some extra stress to my life because I commuted for three years between Mountain View and Lake Tahoe on a weekly basis because I needed kind of this space to relax and I had a lot of pleasure coming here every weekend and just doing my own thing outside of the city and outside of this whole environment but and here's the big but and that always people ask me and I do want to say this is people always ask me did you have to leave Google in order to manage your stress or do you have did you have to move out of the Bay Area in order to feel better and the answer is for me personally yes this was necessary but I am a high achiever and I am I am the way I am. I had some very unhealthy habits and I really had to learn like this, this whole, my whole own company is, is almost like a test. Like it's testing me over and over and over again to apply my own methods because I could work myself literally to the ground. And even though I left Google, I'm always saying that I am 1 million times more busy than I was at Google and I'm working so hard as I've never worked before in my life and you know and I could have chosen a very safe environment to stay at Google and you know have a week a bi-weekly paycheck or not bi-weekly but every two weeks paycheck coming in and um, you know being very comfortable in that spot but I, I chose to move out I chose something a lot more stressful but and now I'm applying my own tools to you know, to, to manage my own stress because I am the person that I am. And even though I left Google, that external environment, I'm still me and I'm still doing all the crazy things sometimes to, to be productive. So yeah, and that's a very long answer to your question, Jenny. <laughs> well, I really, I appreciate it. And it is interesting that you and I both are saying, no, you don't have to leave. But in my case, yes, I did, you know, yeah. so I think it's important that we're honest about that and saying in your case, like, it is very inspiring to hear you say, like, I just needed that. I needed to change my environment. And even hearing how you grew up is so makes a lot of sense and talk about planting and going back to something that works for you. It's like, what's more formative than your environment of how you grew up in that peaceful that peace in nature and very live now is so beautiful and exquisite. The smell, like it brings back a lot of childhood memories for me too. And um, some, sometimes, yeah, like sometimes I noticed the times that I worked from abroad for a month, mm -hmm. just little pilots, little experiments in my business. I was so happy. I didn't feel even the pressure that I feel living in New York to like go on coffee talks or this, like I get so many requests that um, when I'm out of the country, I just don't, I just don't have the same level of like even self-imposed pressure or micro guilt about what I'm saying yes or no to. And I even heard Chris Saka, the venture capitalist said he moved to Tahoe for that exact reason. He just didn't want all the requests. <laughs> yeah. I love the, so, the micro guilt. <laughs> yes. I've never heard that word before, but that's, that's a very interesting, that's a very good way to explain. I know. I think that's like my next podcast episode is I'm going to riff on that because it's not the big guilt of like, oh my God, I've really done something wrong. It's just that little subtle guilt that yeah. just seeps in all day. Mm -hmm. Like I should be doing this. 
Oh yeah, I should be say I should say yes or oh no, I canceled. I'm a bad friend. It's mm-hmm. like oh boy, yeah, it's too much. <laughs> it's definitely different for me. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it has its advantages and disadvantages, right? Like I of course um you know would you know would be able to promote my business in a very different way if I would live in the Bay Area, and now I have to travel there in order to do that, and so that doesn't happen as often as I as it would if I would be there. But yeah, it's a very it's a very um, active choice to be here and um, you know be be productive in my in the way I want to be productive. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and it is that is a long commute, <laughs> but. But I guess it also makes you more intentional about, I'm a big fan of time blocking and like, okay, it's a city day. So you go, and I'm also living in Harlem, kind of like I used to be downtown right in the center of everything, but uh, now I just block my days. Or if we moved even farther out of the city, it would just be, you'd have one city day a week and you line up your meetings. And in a way that's a relief as well, because you're not distracting yourself throughout the week with all kinds of different work contexts, just one thing at a time. Yeah, I think distractions is a really good point because um, we're getting so easily distracted in, in today's world because there's so much opportunity, right? You just said it, you have this and that and you, you get constantly invited to coffee chats and all these different things. And um, But then we always have to ask ourselves the question, is that, will this really move me forward and will this make me happy, you know? Um, and I think, we oftentimes disconnect from that feeling because we want to please people and we want to, um, you know, make everyone happy. So we like forget to make ourselves happy in the process. And that's a big thing that I had to learn myself too. Yeah. And for me, it was also realizing, I think email is the clearest place to realize, but there's a responsive mode that's responding to other requests or incoming messages, questions, et cetera. And email could be a full-time job. I think for any of us, <laughs> certainly yeah. when I worked at Google, it was a full-time job and it, it is on the outside as well. And it's the paradox of success. Like the more successful you are, the only the more emails you're going to get or the more requests for your time or whatever it is, which is a good thing. It means that whatever you're doing is working and resonating. And yet it's very easy to spend the whole day reacting to other people. And so for me, I've even, I kind of had this aha moment when I realized, let's go back to coffee talks. I was responding. The person was asking me, but my question became, would I have initiated this coffee on my own? Like, is this someone that I would have reached out to proactively and said, I would love to meet up for coffee. And, and that was often a different answer of whether I should go as a reaction and a response compared to a genuine authentic desire within myself as you highlighted julia yeah wow i love that that's a really good point i'm gonna bring that up in the next trainings because i do a lot of time management training and i think and i talk a lot with executives with my one-to-one coaching clients about their schedule and they have all these coffee chats (laughs) (laughs) i know it's a thing i love that you say that because it's like would i want to meet with this person or you know, and how much time do I make for these people? Because obviously when you're a leader, there's a certain number, you know, of, of coffee chats that, that you will do, but it's, it's always in, in, the, in the right kind of amount and, and capacity, so. Yeah, and one of my benchmarks is, have I called my grandma this week? Like if I haven't called grandma in two <laughs> weeks or three weeks, then I'm not gonna have coffee with someone I don't know. It's like, I'm not even, I struggle with making time for my own family, not, it's like, because I'm a terrible person, but sometimes I feel that way, but because I'm doing so much day to day, we're on different time zones. And so it's like, if I don't feel completely on it in terms of keeping up with all my family members, my husband, myself, I crave alone time so much. It's like, it has nothing to do with the person requesting a meeting. It just means there's no chance. It's like, I'm barely struggling just to meet the things that are most crucial to me or most vital. And you, I think you highlighted it well, that it is a very different question of not just what I like to meet with this person and sometimes serendipity, you know, people will reach out out of nowhere and you're like, wow, how cool, how exciting. But, um, even the responsive answer is so different than would I go out of my way to carve out the time to initiate this. And it's two different things. Yeah. 
yeah yeah i love that <laughs> I, i'm thinking of my own grandma in germany and uh, <laughs> yeah it's it's very true um you already mentioned earlier that you know you had a coach around like two and a half years into Google and you talked about, should I leave or should I go? Uh, should I stay or should I go? And um, I, I had the question um, for you today of what is the best advice someone has given you about your own career journey? Would you say that was the biggest, most important one for you? Or is there anything else that pops into your mind with this question? It was actually a yoga teacher at Google. I was working on my first book and really nervous about it. And she said, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You will know the next step just as you always have. And I just love that advice. Even I always have remembered it. Like whenever I feel nervous or overwhelmed by what I have to do or question whether I'm even capable of doing it, I just remind myself that like, just put one foot in front of the other. And we hear that a lot. That piece is not the most breakthrough thing you've ever heard. <laughs> but it was the second part. You yeah. will know what to do when you get there, just as you always have. And that was so helpful because we can all look back on our lives and say, oh yeah, in the moment when I'm faced with a decision, I, I'm able to make that decision. Sometimes we can't make them all in advance, but when you get to that point in the process, you'll know what to do. And in a way, what she was saying had a, had a lot to do with intuition as well, because I've done a couple conversations for my podcast with Penny Pierce, who's the author of The Intuitive Way, around how powerful our intuition is. And it's only when, and Penny would say, intuition is on a need to know basis and an in the moment basis. So you're not going to get an intuitive hit about something most likely months and months before it's relevant to you, but when it's needed, there it will be. Yeah. Ah, oh, intuition. We could talk another podcast episode. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, there's a lot um, that opens up for me as well when we talk about intuition because the only thing I, that I'm going to say to that is that I think it's very important to know when fear is coming up versus when it's intuition that is really trying to tell you something important. And that's something that I had to learn, not hard, but like that I had to learn over and over and over again in my life of like, you know, wh where, is my where is it my intuition and where is it my fear from a past experience right. that that is bring, you know bringing in like this like oh should i do this should i go ahead and um yeah but anyway we we, we can maybe do another podcast about this <laughs> in my yes. well. it's one of my favorite topics i yeah. think it's such a an untapped resource that we have especially for all these big changes yeah absolutely and so if somebody is asking you today jenny i need some career advice and what would you tell that person well, let's see. That's a big question. So I would, I would ask them, really, I love to start with what does success look like a year from now? I mean, that's that vision question, but who am I to give advice? Like just to, for this, in this prompt, it really depends what the person, where they're at. And it's like, no matter how dissatisfied you are now, what would you love to have happening a year from now? And then we can both be so much more creative about little experiments to get there. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because in the peak performance method that I just built, um, the first kind of dimension is understanding yourself because exactly when you say that, like, what does a success look like a year from now? I wouldn't have really been able to answer that question for many, for a, long, for a long time during my journey and during my process, because it's a difficult question as well. I feel like when you don't really yes. understand and know yourself, so really understanding your own values. And you mentioned that a little bit as well. I know that you have that in your first step of understanding who you are and what you enjoy doing and, um, you know, where are you really thriving? Those are all really good indications of who you are, but we oftentimes so get disconnected from that when we are in such a stressful state. It's true. It's true. And I, I would never want anyone to feel like they have to have the perfect answer either for success a year from now. Um, I love Tosha Silver, her book, Outrageous Openness. So much of it is about surrender. And there were about three years recently, even when Pivot was coming out, where I had no goals. I had no specific outcomes for a year from now. But my answer was just, I want to feel engaged and like I'm making an impact and I'm reaching just the perfect people at the perfect time. And um, sure, I could try to assign 
metrics and numbers that we both know about OKRs, Julia, <laughs> objectives and key results. But, <laughs> but sometimes what does success look like? You're just saying, I want to feel rested, healthy, um, engaged with my life. Like I'm doing meaningful work. You can start there. You can start that broadly. And it is a hard question and it is easy to get disconnected from that. And I think the only way to start is by fumbling through that confusion and trying to get something down on paper. If you know where you're stuck and you know what you don't want, what's the opposite of that? And in my own business, one of my guiding questions, even that helped me navigate the fear of leaving Google was instead of focusing on what could go wrong, I started to ask, what if I earn twice as much in half the time? And then later I added with ease and joy. And then later still I added while serving the highest good for all involved. So now my guiding mission, it's not a specific number per se, but it's always asking, how can I earn twice as much in half the time with ease and joy while serving the highest good? And that's a orienting, a guiding question that works for me rather than trying to land on any specifics. Yeah. Oh, that's really beautiful. Yeah. I think that's, that's so powerful. And, um, I, and I even think even just asking yourself the opposite of like, okay, what do I have today? And you know, what is the opposite of that? How do I, who, how do I feel today? And what is the opposite of that could, could be an exercise to do, or I'm even thinking, um, what was I just thinking? <laughs> um, that you were saying that, um, yeah, that, you know, you just start somewhere. Oh, and then in this tumultuous time, you know, we feel so, you know, frustrated and lost, but that, that is oftentimes the most beautiful time in hindsight, right? When you're looking back and to be a little bit more present in that moment and be like, okay, right now, this is a tumultuous time and just acknowledging what is. And then, um, you know, and, and also knowing that better times will come and you will learn a lot from that process is always a really powerful reminder. And since, you know, I've practiced more mindfulness and awareness in my life, I, I know that, you know, sometimes I have a bad day and I feel lost and frustrated and sad and, you know, I don't know what to do anymore. And I know that the next day can already look very different, just like the weather is one day really sunny and the next day it can be really rainy. Um, but it's important that, that we are aware of that and that we are not getting stuck on the negative things for too long. hundred percent. And yeah, I just love the way you put that. It, it, my Penny and I, who I mentioned earlier, we call it the goo state. But that goo state, that liminal state of in-betweenness where you're neither here nor there, you feel like everything's falling apart or your whole idea of yourself has dissolved and you're not into the next phase yet. And it is, it can be so disorienting and it can also take twice or three times as long as you think it should. So I find myself whenever I'm in a goo state, I think I should be out of this by now. But of course it always takes way longer. And I love how you said it, Julia. It is such a beautiful time that you are being shaped. Like there is a lesson, there is learning there, there is growth. And that is where the growth happens. It's actually not when times are good and we're coasting and flying along. The real growth is in those totally uncomfortable, stretchy moments between one old version of ourselves into this next bigger, more expanded version. But it is so uncomfortable yeah. in the process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always have a few questions at the end of each podcast episode, so I want to move into those. And the very first question is, what are you most grateful for in your life, Jenny? I am most grateful for my health and my family's health, knock on wood. Um, I, whenever I do a gratitude practice, I'm just so thankful for my family. And now I'm going to include the pup, yes. <laughs> the little doggy, <laughs> in yeah. that he brings a lot of joy into my life. That's great. And um, do you have, you already mentioned a few great books, but do you have one book that maybe you've been reading over and over and over again because you feel like there's so much wisdom in it or it's been so inspiring for you and um, that maybe changed your life even? Outrageous Openness, which I mentioned, definitely changed my life. Frequency by Penny Pierce. Loving What Is by Byron Katie. These are all game changing. I also did like Seed of the Soul by Gary Zuckoff. He wouldn't necessarily, I would choose those other three first, but that book was very powerful. It's actually the book that transformed Oprah's life and career in terms of setting intention. And she, she wrote a really powerful forward to the 20th anniversary edition. So those are the ones I would start with. 
Okay, great. I'm, and I'm sure that you also know Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Big Magic is great. And of course, I didn't even mention like Tim Ferriss's books, Four Hour Work Week. When I read that in 2008, I think it's so formative. I mean, there's some real, I didn't even get into the business books. If you work within a company or you are a CEO of a company, it doesn't have to be crazy at work is a recent favorite that I absolutely loved. And um, yeah, just those, the, the, founder, the founders of Basecamp are really brilliant and they have great books. Their most recent is it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Very great. Nice. And so what's next for you? I loved you. You always ask that question or um, in your podcast, you also say, what's next? So what's next? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the tables have turned. I am focusing now on running the company of Pivot. So rather than being the service provider, the coach, the speaker, the person that runs around the world <laughs> virtually or in person delivering services, for the last two years, I've really put an emphasis on scaling up a little bit, staying like a lean, mean machine, but also more systems, expanding the team and focusing on more scalable pivot programs so that, um, so that really the material can live beyond me and, and managers can use it with their teams and individuals can work through it on their own in a self-study manner. So it's really exciting for me to partner with organizations in that way for licensing pivot where they can then roll it out in a global way. And it kind of connects to that work I used to do at Google of trying to figure out how do you scale something globally to so many people and make it dynamic enough and versatile enough. So that's been a really fun challenge. And it's very delightful to hear when it does make it to other companies, hear those trainers, maybe even delivering pivot in another language and seeing them become the facilitator is really rewarding. That's, that's really cool. Do you already have somebody in Germany? No, I don't think we have, because I'm not doing it. It would depend if a German company brought me in or a company that had offices in Germany, but I would love to, I would love if it can reach to yeah, Germany. German market, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So um, I'm sure now, like, you know, everybody has heard you and it's like, okay, how can I learn more about Jenny Blake and where can I find her? Can you um, tell our listeners how they can best sure. work in the future? There are a bunch of free tools and templates at pivotmethod.com slash toolkit. If you're looking to put some of these principles in practice, if you are self-employed, I created a course called Free Up Founder Time. So if you go to pivotmethod.com, I mean, you could really navigate there from the homepage, or you can go to pivotmethod.com slash founder time. And if you're listening to this podcast, it means you must listen to podcasts. So if you are interested, mine is called Pivot. You can search Pivot with Jenny Blake and it should come up. Yeah, great. And it's a really great podcast as well. I'm listening to it too. And um, okay. Jenny, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, especially because I know you're super busy and um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm sure that a lot of people will take a lot of learnings away from this today. Thank you so much, Julia. It's been really delightful to connect with you, hear your questions and see you. You're so radiant. I love that you also do video for these. And thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate it if you've made it this far and I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Jane. Bye. Bye.